few weeks ago, I was at uh, my, my daughter Caroline's track meet in Staten Island. The Morris County Track Championships, for some reason, are held in Staten Island. That's how far away it is to go to get a nice indoor track. If you want to make some money, build an athletic facility in New Jersey. Can I get an amen? Anyway, um, after one of her events, she wasn't feeling good. There was a lot of drama involved in it, and uh, she took her spikes off. And now, as I recall it, she handed them to either Joan or I. I don't really remember. Fast forward a couple days, Caroline's getting ready for her next meet. I hear the question billow from the other room. Oh no, where are my spikes? Now, if you have kids, you know as a parent, we have a pre-programmed answer to questions like this. I don't really need to enter the struggle or the hunt yet. I just ask the age-old dad question. Anybody know what that is? Where did you put them? And then I got back the answer no father wants to hear. I gave them to you, remember? <laughs> now, track spikes are not cheap. They're north of 100 bucks, and so this was some stuff entering in. I noticed something as this went down about my initial reaction, my natural reaction, to what happens when stuff invades my life. Because my first thoughts were, Caroline, let's go look for them together. No. I didn't think, hey, let's give the track facility a call. Maybe somebody turned them in. No. Hey, Carol, let's sit down and see if we can find another pair and maybe they'll get here in time for your meet. Nope. All those would have been productive. Instead, and I remember this quite specifically, my thoughts were, how in the world does she think this is my fault? <laughs> She's 16 years old. You're, I, she got a little bit of this lecture. You were responsible. How is this my fault? You're 16. You should have checked your bag before we left. Now, immediately this was my second thought. Joan's not here this morning. She's actually at a track meet, this time in Tom's River, another crazy place. So we'll just keep this little secret between us. Um, the second thing I thought to myself immediately was this. I can't believe Joan left those spikes at that facility. <laughs> that woman is so scatterbrained, all she does is cost me money. And so I'm in the middle, the middle of this series, stuff happens, and all of a sudden I have this, this thing that hits me. It's like, why, do, why is that my first reaction? Something happened, bad things happened, I blame somebody. See, this is funny and it's harmless, but I want to share another quick story that happened to Joan and I. I've told it before and I can't get into the details about it right now. But when Caleb was two years old, I found him at the bottom of our pool. Joan thought he was with me, out in the cul-de-sac with the other kids. I thought he was with Joan in the house. And uh, because God chose to save his life, at that moment, um, he screamed out, and I found him a few moments, a few minutes later. He was at the bottom of the pool, and I pulled him out, and he breathed. It was literally like a miracle. But when I brought him inside, and he was crying, and Joan was crying, and I was crying, and, and Joan had a towel around him, I remember exactly where we were in the living room because I could feel it. All of a sudden, I remember feeling inside me this thing that said, you were supposed to be watching him. And then Joan looked at me and said, you were supposed to be watching them. Because it's not funny when it's r real stuff. See, when the stuff gets serious, had Caleb not been okay, 
that stuff would have ripped my family apart. Have you noticed that in your own lives or in your own homes? Stuff happens and it usually doesn't bring us together. It tends to tear us apart. See, Jesus knows this. That in the world, you're going to have problems. Some stuff is going to happen. It happens to the good and the bad. It happens to those who love God and those who don't. And it happens to those God loves. And Jesus, to teach this principle, says a couple of the hardest things I've ever heard a human being cold almost. That if you were going to make these stories up and try to make it like, yay, Jesus, you would never write these stories about what he says because they're troubling. But he's trying to help you and I to understand in your stuff, don't ask the wrong questions. I'm going to set the scene for you to the first story. Jesus has literally been chased out of the temple. There are rocks flying by his head because the temple leaders are trying to stone him. He had offended them because he had been doing some miracles and they were saying, where do you get this power? And he was trying to explain to them who he was. And they said, you know, well, we, father, we follow our father Abraham. And Jesus makes that bold pronouncement. Some of you know what he goes. They said, do you think you're greater than Abraham? And Jesus goes, well, before Abraham was, I am. And, you know, that also had connotations about, you know, God saying it was, his name was I am. And so they lose it and they start chucking stones at Jesus. And John records the story and he says that Jesus just slipped away from the temple. So here's how the story goes. As he went along, right after that, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, here comes the question, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Who sinned? Better known as whose fault is this? Stuff happens, who do we blame? This is somebody's fault. Now here's what we know from week one of stuff happens, okay? Stuff happens like this, not because God made mistakes, you know, that, oops, God, I didn't mean for him to be born blind, that was an accident. That's not what happens. Stuff happens because we live in a fallen world and nothing, nothing in all of creation is as God would have wanted it to be. All of it is broken. Me, you, the blind man, all of it broken in different ways, some visible, some not so visible. But in the first century, and see, I think in this century, there's this prevalent understanding that this man was born blind for one of two reasons. A, this is something he's blind to punish his parents. His parents did something and it resulted in this kid, this baby being born blind. He's paying the price for their sin. You know, maybe if they just hadn't gotten married. You know, maybe if she hadn't had that drink during her pregnancy. You know, maybe if she hadn't gone to that yoga class. Maybe if I hadn't gone to my grandmother's house and my grandfather was smoking. It's their fault. Or, B, it was his fault. It's the blind guy's fault. Because in fact, in Jesus' day, this is crazy, but the teaching was you could be born this way because you sinned in the womb. You know, I'm just cursing my mom out in her belly, right? Letting her have it. Didn't like what she had for lunch. And so... This, this concept underlying it is a God that is angry and judgmental and he just can't wait to have children be blinded by their sin. 
That God is, God is just watching that baby in utero, just waiting for him to screw up. Now, this sounds kind of silly, but the truth is, at one level or another, we do it all the time. Because if it wasn't their fault, then it must be mine. I screwed up, I did something wrong, and God is getting me back. What is the first question that we ask, literally, when stuff happens? What did I do to deserve this? My marriage fails, my business fails, my kids fail. If I can't find someone else to blame, that's my first option. I'm going to look around hard, right? But if I can't figure out a way to blame somebody else, then I must have done something and God is doing this to punish me. But here's what Jesus answered. His answer sets the first century and I think the 21st century on its ear. He looks and he goes, neither. That's a raw, it's a binary choice that doesn't exist. It's a stupid question. You're overruled. You don't get it. It's not A or B. This is not a blame game. You're asking the wrong question. Neither. This man nor his parents sinned. But this happened. I hate this, okay? You wouldn't write this. It doesn't make me go, Jesus. This happened. Nobody's going to put this on a bumper sticker. This happened so that the works of God, other translations are, this happened so that the power of God might be displayed in him. The child wasn't born blind because of something someone did. This child was born blind. And this is tough because if it's true, it's problematic for us. It means that we can't fix everything. We can't just understand what happened, who's to blame, and it won't happen again. Jesus says, this child was born blind in order that the works of God, the power of God, the glory of God could be displayed. This child stuff, this man, this now man stuff has purpose. He's blind with purpose. His stuff is going to display the works and the power and the glory of God. I don't like that answer. Because I have kids. See, I want, I want my kids like bionic eyesight to show the power of God. I want his football acumen to display the power of God. I want her SAT score to display the glory of the works of God. But remember what Paul said last week? God's power is made perfect not in our strength, but in our weakness. You're asking the wrong question. Jesus says you're focused on the wrong thing. See, you want to blame somebody for this. You just are, are trying to figure out how you could fix this, how you could prevent this. I'm telling you, it's the wrong question. There's a bigger question and a better question. And here's what it is. Where is God's work and power going to be shown in all of it? I heard a speaker put it this way. When we constantly focus and all of our attention on what's wrong, we lose sight of what God is making right. So Jesus goes on with this confusing little saying, and you're going to see he says this a couple of times because these stories I'm going to share with you are so related. Jesus goes, look, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus is saying, look, while I'm here, I'm going to be here for a short amount of time. It's going to be dark soon. When the day is here, when I'm, when I'm here, I've got to show you something. 
I want you to see what God does. I want you to understand how God uses brokenness and weakness to display power and work. So that in the future, because it's going to be dark soon, I'm not going to be here forever. A day is going to come when stuff is going to come in your life and you're going to start trying to blame people. You're going to start underthinking maybe that you did something to deserve this. I don't want you to ask those questions when it's dark out. So now when we're in the light, I'm going to show you something. After saying this, he spit on the ground. Again, John just adds these details, right? Like, boy, I, I would have preferred Jesus said abracadabra. <laughs> After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so this man went and washed and came home seeing. But the healing is not the key to this story. Because there are lots of stories of Jesus healing. And there are lots of stories of Jesus not healing. The key is the conversation and the teaching. In the stuff, the question is not who do we blame, but what is God up to? Where is God at work? Where is his glory going to be displayed? How is this stuff possibly, even as much as I hate this right now, going to display the work of God or bring him glory? And this is not because he's narcissist. Oh, I'm going to make people blind so that I'm glorified. What God is trying to say is, look, I am the hope of the world. Unless I am glorified, made known, people will never find me. I love these people so much, I'll do any... God doesn't need our, our praise. I, I need to be lifted up because I love them so much, I am their way out of this. I'll do and use anything to reach them. The story continues. The religious leaders are still fired up, man. They had just tried to stone them, and now he goes out and heals blind people. So they try to conspire to get people to say that Jesus is doing this by some demonic power. They ask the guy that was healed twice, well, are you sure this is what happened? They even call in his mother and father, who, they, who the, John says were scared. And, and the religious leaders go, tell us that your son was born, you know, not born blind. And they're like, well, we think he was, you know, because they're a little bit scared. So they bring the guy back in again. And they're like, this has been done by the, by the, by the power of a sinner. I love what the guy says. He, he looks at me and goes, you can say whatever you want. Here's all I can tell you. And you've heard this in a pretty famous song. I was once blind, but now I see. They didn't like this answer. So they gave the old understanding that everybody always had. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at your birth. You deserved this. I don't know what you did in your mother's womb, but God got you back for it. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Here comes Jesus. He hears that they've thrown him out. And Jesus, when he finds him, looks at him and he asks a question. Because you're going to hear this question again in the next story. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked. Because remember, he was blind when he had this meeting with Jesus. He says, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord... I believe. And he worshipped him. Because the works of God, the powers of God being displayed in his life resulted in God's glory becoming known and people coming to faith, believing. It's not, the question is not, who do we blame? 
How do we fix it? The question is, in the midst, what is God doing? Where is he? And how is his power and glory going to come out of this? This is not easy to teach. Because what it means is that in the midst of the stuff, I have to rely on God. Instead of relying on myself. I'll show you quickly another wrong question. We do it all the time. Stuff causes us to blame one another. I just showed you that. It breaks down our relationships. But there's another thing it does. Most of you know the story. The disciples are out on a boat with Jesus. And a horrible storm kicks up. It's called a seismos in Greek. That's the same term they use for, uh, uh, for how they measure earthquakes. That's how bad the storm is. Here's, here's how it was recorded by Mark. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Have you ever felt like that? I'm dying here. This ship is sinking. My husband is leaving. My kids are out of control. I can't get one more call from a bill collector. The doctor told me this isn't going to end well. Are you asleep? Are you doing anything? Here comes the wrong question. The disciples woke him and said to him, do you care? Do you even care? Because that's the second wrong question we ask in our stuff. God, do you see what's going on down here? Because when stuff happens, it actually gets us to start to question the goodness of God. They're not sitting around going, this storm, oh, this is terrible, but wait till we see the glory of God. What we ask is, do you even care? Because I think this thing's going to sink. Last story, because it captures both of these wrong questions so well. And then it gives us the right one. John, John records it. He says this, there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. He gives us a very interesting detail that he didn't need to put, but he puts for a reason. This Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, who now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. There was an earlier story that Jesus had gone to the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, and Mary had come out with an alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume. The scriptures actually say how much money it cost. It was worth a year's salary. I don't know how much money you make. Imagine a year's salary, and she takes this, breaks it open, and anoints Jesus with it. In fact, cleans his feet with her expensive year's worth of money and her hair. That's how much you love Jesus, that's how much Mary loves Jesus. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. He's about a day and a half away. Lord, the one you love is sick. It's interesting, right? They don't give his name. The one you love. Lazarus is like a first century Beyonce. Just goes by one name, right? I'm the one that Jesus loves. It's actually kind of funny because John writes this and John, every time he talks about himself, says the disciple that Jesus loved. And so Mary and Martha, now they've, they've been hanging around Jesus and they know how many people Jesus has healed. And so you can imagine they're pretty sure that Jesus is going to care. And everybody in the crowd, when they hear that it's Mary and Martha, they're going, oh man, Mary's sister, remember what Mary did? She broke that whole thing, years worth of wages, tears, hair on the feet. 
Oh, man. And they know how much Jesus loves them because when they hear the one that Jesus loves, they're going, oh, Lazarus? And so, I mean, they're going, as soon as Jesus gets word of this, we know what he's going to do. He's off to Bethany. He heals people he doesn't even know. There is no way he's going to leave Beyonce to her own, you know, demise. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And here's, this is going to sound kind of familiar. It's for God's glory. So that God's son may be glorified through this. Thorns with Paul and blindness with a man and sickness in Lazarus. Sickness is bad. Jesus is going, no. I need to redefine this for you. It's going to be used for the glory of God. But I don't want sickness to be used for the glory of God. I want touchdowns to be used for the glory of God. I want to watch Tim Tebow again tell me, thank his Lord and Savior Jesus. And I'm not picking on Tim Tebow. I love Tim Tebow. In fact, I would like him to marry my daughter. But that's a whole, <laughs> a whole separate issue. See, I, that's what I want. I want that to show me the glory of God. I want political power to show me the power of God. I, I, I want money and promotions, and I want my best life now to testify to everyone around the power of God. And Jesus goes, I got a better category. I'm going to give you some stuff. For my glory and my renown, you might not understand, but I'm telling you, people are going to come to believe in me. Now, Jesus, he's about to do something again that you wouldn't write this story, but he's about to do something again that is so offensive. In fact, I don't even like saying it because it really makes him look bad. If I could just be honest with you, right? Like, like you know, there's several places in the scripture where you're like, oh, I'd just like to cross that one out because that's a little bit tough. This is so offensive that John adds a little line to the story. John goes, now, just remember, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus, keep it in mind, because you're not going to believe this. You might think differently. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, well, he loves him. So we know what he did, right? Jesus does what anybody who loves somebody would do. He stayed where he was two more days. That's why John's like, yeah, I told you. I I, I mean, I remember the Mary. I was there with the whole Mary and the ointment and the, and the perfume. And I mean, I, I was sure he was going to go too. But he, he just stayed there. And so Lazarus is dying. And Jesus is sleeping in the proverbial boat again. And, and days go by. And then he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, remembering to the last time they had been there and that whole thing with the blind man. Rabbi, they said, you know, it was just a little while ago where the Jews tried to stone you there and you're going back. Remember, Jesus, they chased you out and they were throwing stuff at you. See, the disciples remember it too. They don't remember it as a story. They remember it because there were stones flying by their head too. Jesus, you know, you don't really need to go back there to heal them. You could just kind of do a thing from here. Wouldn't that be easier for all of us? Just kind of cure them. We've seen you do that before. We don't need to go back there. There's trouble back there. And Jesus answered, 
It's going to sound familiar. Stories are so amazingly alike. I never noticed it until I worked on this talk. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime is not going to stumble, for they'll see by this world's light. It's a person who walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus is going, look, I am the light of the world. It's going to be dark soon. And before you start running around in the darkness, I need to teach you something because I need to show you some stuff. John, there's going to be a time coming in your life where something, and I'm talking about, um, not me, I'm talking about John that wrote this. Although, as I say that, I'm talking about me, which I just wish wasn't true, too. Some stuff's going to happen. And if I don't teach you this, if I don't actually show you this, I just stay here and heal. That's not going to do anything. I need to show you something because you're going to get scared and you're going to ask the wrong questions. You might even lose your faith. So follow me, boys. I need you to see this. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he's, he'll get better. He's fine. We don't need to go. Jesus had been speaking of his death. His disciples thought he meant natural sleep. As I thought about this, this is, happens at my house on a regular basis, especially when the kids were younger. Joan would come to me and say, you know, he's really, th uh, you know, he's really sick. One of the kids is really sick. They're, they're, I think they're, they've got a, a fever. Do you think we should take them to the emergency room or the doctor? Gosh, no. There's a copay involved in that. We're going to stay right here, put them to sleep, and we'll see. They'll probably be fine. Sleep it off. Give it some time. And here comes, okay, here comes a very offensive line. I don't like reading it to you, but here's what Jesus said. So he looks at them, because they didn't want to go, they didn't want to get stoned. So he looks at them, and he told them plainly. That basically means, you guys aren't that bright, so I'm going to have to dumb this down. Lazarus is dead. And here comes a horrible line. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Let me repeat that. Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I wasn't there. Lazarus is dead. I'm glad. I could have fixed it. I could have changed it. Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I wasn't there. Eek. Why, Jesus? so that you might believe. See, this is the story of the man born blind. Jesus, you would allow somebody to be born blind so that people might believe? Yep. Jesus, you would allow someone to have a thorn in their flesh, a constant pain that would hamper their whole life and ministry just so they might know your power? Yep. Jesus, you would let someone you love die in order that others might believe? Yeah, in fact, that's going to be the story of my life because my father is going to allow me to die so that you might believe. So wait a minute, Jesus. You mean this whole thing isn't about like getting a promotion and a bigger house and the cute guy in the cafeteria? No, there's something bigger going on here. And then Thomas. Okay, so Thomas is a disciple, right? Uh, 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 John says he was also known as Didymus. You know him by another moniker. Anybody know what Thomas's other moniker is? 
Doubting Thomas. See, it didn't begin post-resurrection. It begins right here. Then Doubting Thomas said to the rest of his disciples, great, let's all go, we'll all die. <laughs> right? Let us all go that we may die with them. Great idea, Jesus. Let's go. And so on his arrival, Jesus finds Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. John, listen to how John records this story for us. It was only two miles away. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Why does John record this for us to see? Because in other words, geez, lots of other folks made the trip. Lots of other people seem to care a little bit more than Jesus did. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. What a detail. Why did Mary stay home? She's ticked. Have you ever been ticked? There, I've had a night or two. One time just banging the dashboard of my car. I am so mad at you right now. I mean, imagine Mary, stupid, gave you that stupid perfume, years worth of it, made a fool of myself in front of everybody. What did I ask? I asked you one thing to heal my brother. You think I'm going out to greet him on the hill? It's the same question. Jesus, you don't even care, do you? Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, this is your fault. You're to blame. You didn't. You didn't come. You could have. You healed strangers. You healed Samaritans. You healed sinners. You said you loved us. And you know what you did? Nothing. In fact, she kind of, she kind of almost rubs it in, I think, with this line. I know that even now that God would do whatever you wanted him to do. But you didn't care. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. And she responds, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is Martha, this is, you know, your, your well-meaning Christian pablum-blowing friend. Well, we know he's in a better place. And Martha's kind of like, yeah, I know he's in a better place. But you know where I wanted him? In this place. I wasn't asking for a better place. I was asking for him to be here with me. He was young. He didn't deserve this. Don't you care? And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her, the exact same question he asked the blind guy. The exact same question that resonates across time and space to you in the middle of your bankruptcy, in the middle of your divorce, in the middle of your mourning and your pain and your fear. Do you believe this? Paul, with the thorn in your side, do you believe this? 
Blind man since birth, do you believe this? Disciples in a boat going down, do you believe this? Martha, whose brother just died, knowing I could have saved him. Martha, I'm still the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? And in the midst of the pain and the anger and the disappointment and the frustration, she goes, yes. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who's come into the world. And so with just this like mustard seed bit of faith, she goes back to her sister Mar Mary and says, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up and went to him. Jesus hadn't yet entered the village. He was still out where Martha had met him. And when the Jews, the, one that's the ones that all seemed to care and that had come to comfort them, they had been with Mary in the house, they noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to go to the tomb and mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. My brother wouldn't have died. It's just... The honesty of John recording the event, she does the same processing. This is your fault. I would have saved him, and you didn't. I gave you the perfume. You don't care. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. See, this is not the answer to a trivia question of what's the shortest verse in the Bible. This is the story of God with us in the stuff, in the pain. John records it because he wants everyone who's ever been taught that all oh, what you're going through is because of your sin. What you're and look, some stuff is because of our sin, but what you're going through is because of your lack of faith. He's recording for people that tell you, just look around. You wouldn't be in this if there was a God. There's no God. God doesn't care. See, God is not just at work in your stuff. God weeps with you in your stuff. He loves you so much that with whatever you're going through right now, it is deeply moving to him in his spirit and it troubles him. He's not putting you through it. He's carrying you through it. God cares about your stuff. And the Jews, they don't know what to do with this. The Jews that have been in the house comforting Mary, they go, look, see how he loved him. But then some of them said, yeah, but he's the same guy that opened the eyes of the blind man. He could have kept him from dying. Jesus John records it again, once more deeply moved. He comes to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. And here comes the key line to the whole story, the truth of what can happen in our stuff if you ask the right questions and don't get distracted by the wrong questions. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Even in the stuff. That's why I keep asking, even if you believe, even when my inaction becomes a stumbling block, even when the brokenness of this world is causing you pain like you can't believe, if you will keep faith, I'm telling you, you will see the glory of God. You could taste it. You'll know it. You'll feel it. You'll experience it. 
do you still believe? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I, I, kn I know you always hear me. In fact, I'm, I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And here comes the summation statement. That if you will stay faithful in the stuff, here is what happens. When we do what Paul said last week, when we boast in our weakness, when we stop pretending, oh, I got it all together, nothing bad's going to happen to me, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, and if I ever experience any weakness, I can't tell you about it because it'll make me look bad. Therefore, because of this stuff, many of the Jews, who just before had been insulting and not believed, Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary believed in him. Of course they did. The power of faith. Now the lesson is not that God is going to heal everybody and make everything okay all the time. Because I'm, I know, I had friends in the first service, I watched as a mother weep because she lost her son a couple years ago. And I know, you hear these stories and you go, yeah, but her, Lazarus came back to life. My son's dead. The blind man since birth is seeing my kid still has Down syndrome. The teaching is not that it's all going to be made okay in this life. Here's what I'm convinced of. Jesus is showing John this because he comes back to him later and says, John, it's going to be dark out later and I need you to remember this story. A bunch of chapters later, John, John records Jesus saying this, very truly I tell you, speaking to Peter, he says, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you're gonna stretch out your hands and someone's gonna dress you and lead you where you do not wanna go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death, which was not a good one if you know what happened to Peter, the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter, some stuff is coming. In fact, you're going to die, not in bed as an old man. But if you will believe, and because you believe, your death, even your death, is going to glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. As the band comes up, here's the lesson for today. In the stuff, it is so important to not ask the wrong question. Stop who's to blame. It's so destructive. Maybe it's at work in your house right now. So many of our relationships get messed up by it. It's his fault. He never spent any time with the kids. It's her fault. All she does is spend money. It's not what have I done to deserve this. That only serves to give you a wrong impression of God. Like he's wielding a club instead of being deeply moved and weeping by your side. The wrong questions give wrong answers. Here's the question. Where, even in the deepest of stuff, where is God at work? What is he up to? Where can I see his glory? If I believe, trust, have faith, keep walking, stop blaming, where can I see the glory of God? Where is he making what is so wrong right? Don't blame. Believe. 
And I'm telling you, based on the promise of Jesus, you will see the glory of God. 